0: The word of God from Matthew chapter 6 verses 24 through 34. Jesus teaches his disciples about God's love and provision for them. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life What you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, or reap, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of God for the people of God.
1: I encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's on page 839 in the brand new church Bible under the seat in front of you that we celebrated as a gift last week to our church family. How many of you are Shark Tank fans? Any Shark Tank fans among us? Quite a few this morning. Okay, so you know who Kevin O'Leary is, Mr. Wonderful. He's uh, one of the sharks on that popular show, and uh, he's known for his hardline, dogged approach to business. You may or may not be aware that he tweeted this on February 11th. It kind of sums up his perspective on life. You may lose your wife, you may lose your dog, your mother may hate you. None of these things matter. What matters is that you achieve success and become free. Then you can do whatever you like. Well, you can imagine he received from some pushback for this statement. So he made a tour of the different networks, and on CNN, he defended himself. This is what he said. I stand behind that 100%. You need to sacrifice. You have to work 25 hours a day, eight days a week. You have to win when you're young and sacrifice everything, everything so that you can achieve freedom for your whole family later in life. That's the whole idea. Never mind that if you sacrifice your wife, not sure how you're going to be able to celebrate freedom with your whole family later in life, but He's taken a lot of heat for his tweet, but in reality, Mr. O'Leary's statement is just another version of our culture's classic message of self-actualization. You becoming free, defined in various ways, whether it's financial success or business success or freedom, it's the only thing, it's the everything That matters. So risk everything else in pursuit of that goal. That's what our culture says, but friends, following Jesus is not compatible with that message. Jesus puts into the mouths of those who would follow him this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And as we go through our series here on the Lord's Prayer and practicing partnership with God, we come to this request. The New Living Translation reads, give us today the food we need. It's a prayer of absolute, complete dependence, not absolute freedom. Let's make three statements concerning this prayer in order to solidify it in our minds as we move forward. Statement number one, we are needy. We are needy people. And the reality is no amount of effort on our part will change that. I'm not sure if that thought is pleasant to you or not. Have you felt needy this week? I did a little exercise in preparation for this sermon. I listed out the different things that I needed or at least thought that I needed this week and how it made me feel when I didn't have what I thought I needed. I need food, and I felt irritable and frustrated when I haven't had any for a while. Yes, I get hangry, and so do you. I need water. And I feel lightheaded and thirsty when I haven't had enough water to drink. I need affirmation and love and I feel isolated and insecure when I don't feel like I have that. I need sleep and I feel lethargic and dull-witted when I don't get enough. I need health and I feel sick when I don't have it. I need exercise and I feel restless and more tired when... I haven't had enough. And just like you, I need resources and I feel stressed and worried when finances, time, and energy is in short supply. You see, as human beings, our need is pervasive, we were created to need. That may seem hard to imagine, especially in a world that tells you and tells me, you are enough. You're enough. But let's take that statement, that cultural creed, to its logical but absurd conclusion. If I am enough, then I have everything I need within me. I should be able to forego adding anything to my life, whether that's food or water, relationships, sleep, love, light, air. If I'm enough, I shouldn't need any of these things. But what happens if I try going without sleep indefinitely? Well, after my body begins to physically deteriorate and my mind begins to hallucinate, my body will force me to sleep. Apparently, I am not enough as I am right now. And neither are you. You need sleep. You need food. You need relationships. You need air. Friend, God did not create us to feel like we are enough. He created us to need. All mankind is needy physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. But the followers of Jesus own that need. We embrace it. Entrance into the kingdom of God requires it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you would follow Jesus, are you willing to own that you are needy? Need is a human reality, and when that need turns cancerous, it causes a breakdown in our relationships. In fact, as Devin reminded me this week, the authors of the excellent book, When Helping Hurts, define poverty precisely in this way. Brokenness in our relationship to God, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with others or our relationship to the broader creation. Need is a fundamental reality. And brokenness and poverty are tragic consequences in a world that has determined it doesn't need, first and foremost, God. And so, as our Lord teaches us to pray, He puts on our lips First, requests that orient our reality to our greatest need, to see rightly who God is, a ruling, holy Father, and then respond to Him rightly as we looked in detail last week. But then He calls us to consider our own needs. And as He does so, He reminds us that our need is not just pervasive, it's Daily. He references our daily bread. Jesus recognizes that your need and my need is not seasonal. It's not even monthly. Our need is daily. And our Lord Himself needed daily when He was on the earth. He required, among other things, daily sustenance. And when He went without food for a long period of time, the statements or the scriptures record the statement multiple times, he hungered. And even as he was dying on the cross, one of the last statements of our Lord addressed his need. I thirst. When the Lord Jesus took upon himself the weakness of our humanity, of our flesh, that weakness included all human needs. Needs like oxygen, oxygen, water, food, and community. Our need is pervasive and it's daily, but it's also multifaceted. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Now, we don't need to read that word bread woodenly literal. Jesus is instructing us to pray for all we need and even to pray for what we think we need for sustaining a life of flourishing not just our physical life for a life of flourishing goes far beyond just our physical life earlier in his ministry jesus would respond to satan as he was tempted man should not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god Jesus is giving us a window into the fact that our need is actually deeper than the merely physical needs of hunger and thirst. Our needs are more complex. They're more convoluted. And the fulfillment of those needs can only be found in one location. You see, the problem is not that we need You may be thinking, well, if we could just figure out how to eliminate need, then many of our problems would be solved. I've heard others say, and I've even arrogantly said myself in the past, that it'd be wonderful if we didn't have to eat or sleep, wouldn't it? How much more efficient we would be, how much more we could get done. But friends, this is an attack on God's wisdom. We are creatures designed to be dependent. And the need for food and the need for sleep are daily reminders that we need. Need is not the problem. The problem is how we respond to that need. See, many of us respond in self-reliance, and if we embrace self-reliance, then we can never truly pray, Father, give us today our daily bread. Self-reliance declares, I am capable of providing. I am self-sufficient. I'm wise enough to know exactly what I need and how to provide it for myself. I know what's good for me, I'll figure it out. But self-reliance, contrary to popular opinion, doesn't lead to a life of human flourishing. It may lead to the American dream, but whoever said the American dream is a life of true human flourishing. Self-reliance leads to workaholism that is never satisfied. Self-reliance leads to modern forms of human sacrifice as we become, as people become means to our own ends, to achieve our own ends, so that we can move ahead with the gods of success. Workaholism leads to cold and calculated living, not an abundant life. Workaholism leads to pride and self-importance. It leads to a Scrooge-ish manner of life and posture that looks down upon others in their need. Well, surely if they just put their mind to it, if they just quit being lazy and did some work, then they would have what they need. But friends, the story of Scripture is clear. Self-reliance is sin against God. Jesus hates self-reliance. Think about it. If anyone could be truly and authentically self-reliant, it was him. But what do we see in the life of our Lord? Complete and absolute dependence upon God. Why? Because Jesus was dying in part to free us from our self-reliance. So we can respond to need and self-reliance, but some of us respond beyond that to anxiety. Our response to need is anxiety. It's perhaps the most common experience in the Western world today. Whether it's that low-grade, low-level anxiety that like a white noise machine is just always in the background, always there, or whether it's that terrifying, panic-attack-inducing type of anxiety, an anxiety so acute that our body short-circuits our mind and takes over to get us to a place of safety. Anxiety constantly asks questions like, what do I need? How will I have what I need? What will happen if I don't get what I need? I think I need something I don't have right now in this moment. If I don't worry about this, who will? I'm lacking something right now that's crucial for me to be safe, to be happy, to be successful, to be liked, to be secure, to be fulfilled, to be complete. And friend, please hear me carefully as one who regularly myself battles anxiety. Why is our anxiety so wrong because it's the wrong response to the reality of human need. Anxiety assumes a posture that God is not loving, that God doesn't see, that God doesn't care, that God isn't good, that God is incapable of providing what you and I need in any given moment. Friends, our anxiety is high treason against God. It is nothing short of idolatry. Remember what God declared to Jeremiah? God said in Jeremiah 2, My people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, evil number one. Evil number two, they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. In our anxiety, we forsake God. The one who promises the quenching of our spiritual thirst and the fulfillment of all of our deepest longings, we forsake Him while we look for the strength and the tools necessary to dig our own cracked, broken, muddy little well that can't actually satisfy our thirst. In our needs, some of us lean towards self-reliance, some of us to anxiety, but either of these at some point will lead to the third response of defeatism, defeatist attitude, the attitude that says, no one cares, it's hopeless, I give up, I can't provide for what I need, no one else cares, I might as well give up. Maybe you saw the CDC study that was reported on in the last week or so, It said that in 2021, 57% of high school girls felt persistently sad and hopeless. 57%. That's up 21% in a decade. Ironic, isn't it, in a culture that repeatedly claims the moral high ground when it comes to promoting the well-being and flourishing of women? something is severely broken maybe what our culture is telling young women concerning who they are at their core and what they actually need and what they ought to want for themselves maybe maybe that isn't actually intended for their flourishing their holistic health their peace their shalom Maybe God intends something far better for them. We are needy. That need is pervasive, it's daily, it's multifaceted. We respond to that need in self reliance or anxiety or a defeatist attitude. But this is not the way of life, it's not the way that Jesus calls us to. You see, number one, we are needy people, but second, provision is grace. We are needy. Provision is grace. It's always grace. Grace is quite a word. It describes receiving something good that can't be earned. Too many of us live the Christian life trying to earn something that can only be received or trying to keep something through our own efforts as if we earned it to begin with. This is not grace. Jesus calls us out of our self-reliance, our anxiety, and our defeatist attitude to a non-anxious, God-dependent, confident life, a life that's grounded by prayer, a life that recognizes Provision is a gift from God, a life that seeks God's provision as a grace, as a gift from Him. Now, it's quite possible that you're sitting here and there's an internal argument waging within you. You're going, Isaiah, provision isn't always grace. My fridge and pantry are stocked with food I bought with money I earned. And when that runs out, I will just run to Publix or Walmart and pick some more up. That's not grace. I provided that. But where did that frozen chicken in your freezer come from? From some rural farm in rural America. And how were those chickens fed? Well, with grain, or maybe they were allowed to free-range and stuff themselves on yummy bugs and worms and grubs and things that you and I would rather not eat? And how did the grain and the insects and the worms exist and grow? Rain and sunshine, which you neither earned nor purchased. Where did the rain and sunshine come from? Jeremiah 14. Can any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Or can the skies alone give showers? Are you not the Lord our God? We therefore put our hope in you, for you have done all these things. Grace. Gifts but we tend to live dangerously close to the type of thinking that Jeremiah condemned in the people of God in his day back in Jeremiah 5 they have not said to themselves let's fear the lord our god who gives the seasonal rains both autumn and spring who guarantees to us the fixed wheats weeks of the harvest and god is calling us to something today brothers and sisters He is calling us to repent of our anxiety and self-reliance and defeatism. And he is calling us to faith in the fact, number three, that God is the provider. We are needy. Provision is grace. God is the provider. He's a holy, ruling, willing, providing father. Matthew 5, 45, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is calling us out of the way that seems right in our own eyes, the way of anxiety and self-reliance and defeatism, but the way that in reality leads to death, not life. And naming these as acts of treason against God is actually the beginning of freedom. Because, friends, God came in Christ to forgive our acts of rebellion and to deliver us out of our treason. He came to make repentance possible. But we must own our sin and turn to him. God is inviting us to turn in faith to Him through a non-anxious, God-dependent, confident prayer life where we enter into partnership with Him, not not becoming obsessed with our need or overwhelmed by it, but coming to Jesus in our anxiety, in our self-reliance, in our defeatism, and asking Him to provide. He's calling us to learn faith-fueled obedience where we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Friend, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone by faith for your deliverance, then you have a Father who will provide all you need to sustain your faith. Proverbs 37 30 verse 7 says this, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who's the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. Child of God, he will provide the exact amount of food you need to sustain your faith. He will provide the exact amount of sleep you need to keep you dependent upon Him. He will provide the exact amount of provision for your spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, relational life so that you remain dependent upon Him. And that is grace, that is a gift. And in so doing, he promises you over and over and over and over again that he will repeatedly give you himself. My guess is there are still some unspoken objections hanging in the air. Isaiah, how do we know that God will actually provide for my needs? If I let go of my self reliance, Philippians 4 My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But Isaiah, how does God know what I need? What if he misses something? Jesus says, Don't worry saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. That you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. But will what God provides actually be good? Will I be able to perceive and sense that His provision for me really is good? Well, friends, who among you, if his son asks for a piece of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Friends, if we then who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So now let me ask you a question. What would it look like for you to repent of your self-reliance, your anxiety, your defeatism, and trust God to provide for you? For some, it would look like deliverance from your self-reliance in all areas for perhaps the very first time. If you've never followed Jesus, then the invitation to you this morning is to turn to God as the one who has provided in Christ for your ultimate need, forgiveness of sin, the removal of God's wrath against your self-sufficiency and anxiety and adoption into his family. Jesus invites you, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So friend, come to him today. Or for you, repentance and faith-fueled obedience may mean you run to Jesus to eliminate your workaholism. There are some fathers in this room that need to spend more time with their kids. And the Spirit of God is opening your eyes right now to see that your workaholism is not evidence of a good work ethic. It's faithless slavery to self-reliance. It's not a life of flourishing. For others, repenting and faith-fueled obedience to God in non-anxious, God-dependent prayer will result in you valuing work as a gift from God. And it will deliver work out of the shackles of duty and turn it into a delight as you partner with God in the world. Our mantra becomes, pray, work hard, pray, rest well, pray. For many of us, repentance and faith means that we'll begin to value rest as a gift from God. Perhaps your personal time of communion with God always feels rushed and short-circuited because it feels like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You've got to provide for your family. Your kids are depending upon you. But faith invites you to rest well through confident prayer before during, and after working hard. Resting in your Father's love and provision for you. And such a posture of repentance and faith would also open our hands in radical generosity with our resources. Radical generosity is going to cost us having some things that shout status, that scream security and comfort. Sacrificial generosity, let's not not gloss over this. It will lead to cultural diminishment. But imagine the freedom offered when we confidently depend upon God, no longer clutching with a closed fist all we make and earn, but instead trusting in God to provide, loosening our grip on our material possessions or on our time and energy, loosening our grip on cultural status in order to bless others with the same sort of generosity that God has poured out upon us. Friends, here's the reality. We are needy. Provision is always grace. And God is the provider. So let me ask you, what sort of bliss can you imagine in your life if you took seriously God's invitation to come find in Christ your rest, trusting God to meet your physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, financial needs. I want us to take a few moments now, if you're comfortable bowing your head and closing your eyes, this is not an invitation, I'm not going to call anyone forward I simply want to give you space to open yourself to the work of the Spirit for Him to both convict and then forgive, to wound and then heal. So take these moments to repent of your self-reliance or your anxiety, your defeatism. Turn to Jesus for rest and forgiveness. Claim with whatever small faith you may have that Jesus invites you to a life of rest trusting that God will provide for your needs. Father, the old hymn reminds us that you invite poor, needy, wounded, weak, and sore sinners to come. Father, give us the faith to believe, to take you at your word to believe that Jesus right now in these moments stands ready to save us full of pity, love, and power. Give us grace. Give us grace to pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread.